Well, Woodlands Church, this weekend we're concluding the series we've been in the last several weeks where we're asking big questions and we're seeking real answers by just following the truth wherever it leads and looking at the evidence. And today we're asking a really big question that humankind has asked and struggled with since the beginning of our existence. And it's the question, is there life after death? Now, really, the only ones who have truly experienced the answer to that question are those who've died. Now, for those of us who are believers, we say emphatically, I'm certain that there is life after death. The Bible says it, I believe it. But really, we haven't experienced it, so we say that by faith. Now, my atheist friends would emphatically say, I am certain there is no life after death. Uh, but they've never really died, so they don't know for sure. They haven't experienced it, so they say that by faith. So if both the believer and the atheist come to their conclusions by faith, then the real question is, which side has based their faith on the most evidence? And so what I want us to do is, is really touch on the evidence, and there's so much evidence outside of God's word that points to the fact there's life after death. But I just wanna to touch on that today, and then I want us to look at God's word that's life-changing. Well, the first piece of evidence that I want us to look at is this universal longing that's in all of our hearts. There's a universal longing, and in fact, anthropologists say that every culture since the dawn of humankind has espoused some concept of life after death. Now, where did that come from? And the scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11, if you'll take a look at it with me, Ecclesiastes 3.11, he, God, has planted eternity in the human heart. So God has planted deep within all of our hearts this knowledge that there's gotta be more to life than just the here and now. We all sense it, though we don't see it. We all have this deep knowledge that's been implanted in our hearts this, this some feeling deep down inside that there's gotta be more to life than just living here on this earth 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and then we die, it's over, no purpose, no meaning. It's gotta be more to life than that. I mean, it's huge evidence that every culture has felt and believed in life after death. So where did we get that from? C.S. Lewis said, if I discover within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another world. God put eternity in your heart. And then I want us to look at the evidence of modern physics because uh, this is something that really is, is constantly changing as we learn so much more about physics and quantum physics and all the new discoveries in modern physics are mind-blowing, and they provide huge evidence that point to the existence of God and life after death. Bertrand Russell was a famous atheist in the mid-20th century, and he said there can't be life after death because all of our experience is bound up with space, time, and matter. What Bertrand Russell was saying is we live in a physical universe. And eternity presumes they're alternate realms like heaven and hell. It can't be because all we know is this physical 
universe. At the same time Bertrand Russell was making those statements, Albert Einstein and other scientists were making these huge discoveries in physics that claimed just the opposite. In fact, Einstein's theory of relativity stated that our physical laws of time and space can be blown away under certain circumstances. And quantum physics opens up the possibility of different dimensions and alternate universes, which almost all physicists agree that there are. Physicist Lisa Randall puts it this way. We're in a three-dimensional flatland. Our world is stuck in this three-dimensional universe, although extra dimensions exist. So we live on a three-dimensional slice of a higher-dimensional world. See, modern physics now says what the Bible has said all along. There are multiple dimensions that we can't see right now, but are just as real. And then I want us to look at near-death experiences. Now there are thousands upon thousands of accounts of near-death experiences where someone's heart will stop beating for a few minutes and then they'll bring them back and they'll have vivid descriptions of seeing a bright light or having an out-of-body experience. And atheists have always said, well, that's just because there are chemicals in the brain that produce that sensation. It's not really happening. It's just some chemicals in the brain. But the International Association of Near-Death Experiences now has studied thousands of these near-death accounts, and they say there's just too many of them that prove that it couldn't be just chemicals in the brain causing this. Let me give you one example. One case involved a Seattle woman who reported a near-death experience following a heart attack, and she told social worker Kim Clark that she had separated from her body and floated outside the hospital building for a while. And Kim Clark didn't believe her, but there was something in the woman's story that caught her attention. The, the woman said that she was distracted by seeing a tennis shoe on a third floor ledge at the north end of the hospital. And so Kim Clark went and started looking out windows of the third floor to see if she could see a tennis shoe, because the woman described it as a tennis shoe with a worn patch on it. So she looked, didn't see anything. Then finally she climbed out on the ledge and there it was, just as the woman had described. And she said the only way this woman could have known that tennis shoe was there is if she had climbed out on the ledge or if she was hovering above it. And there's so many examples like that. Well, we could talk on and on about the evidence. And I really highly recommend that you read, you study, you, you look at the evidence. There's so much out there. Uh, read something on quantum physics if, if you're able to get through it. But, but look at the evidence. So much points to it. But at the end of the day, it's a step of faith, not a blind leap of faith, but a step of faith. So I want us to open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And would you stand in honor of God's Word? And I want to welcome all you guys worshiping with us at our satellite campuses. Everyone worshiping with us through our broadcast and online ministry, wherever you are in the world today. From the wilderness of the world, we're one church built on the word of God, and you're welcome. We're all part of the same church, and I know God's word is going to speak to your heart today because there's something about eternity that when we begin to get a glimpse of it, it changes everything. It's a game changer. It changes the way we live today. When we live in light of eternity, we find our true purpose, and so I want you to follow along with me in this passage, and we're going to do a little study of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, 
they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. God made, not handmade, and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. Dear God, I pray today that you'd help us never settle for less, for we know that you've placed a little bit of eternity in each one of our hearts. And deep down, Lord, it may be covered over by hurt and pain and brokenness, but deep down we know it's true. And so, Lord, I just pray right now, over the next few moments, that you would bring a little heaven to earth. You told us to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we ask you, Lord, to bring some heaven to earth because we need some heaven, Lord, to come to this earth today. We need some heaven to come into our lives to bring healing to our brokenness. We need a little heaven to come in, Lord, to fill us with joy in the middle of pain. We need some heaven to come down today and fill us with purpose. We need some heaven to come down today and bring peace in the middle of confusion. So I pray, Lord, that you would do that over the next few moments as only you can, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated, and I want you to see here, the scripture compares our earthly bodies to temporary tents. And I love that because he says, one day we're gonna fold up this tent and we're gonna pack it away. We won't need it anymore. I have a friend that calls our bodies our earth suit. He says, Carrie, you won't need it in heaven. It's just an earth suit. It's just good down here on this earth, but it's a perishable body. So when you get to heaven, the atmosphere of heaven, and can't live in the atmosphere of heaven, you'll have a new heavenly body. And so God says it's sort of like we're in these temporary tents right now, and one day we'll be in our permanent home in heaven, and in our permanent home in heaven, we'll have new heavenly bodies. But God gives us a little glimpse, or we're living in the tent, a little glimpse of our permanent home in heaven. Now, I have to admit, I'm not a tent person. I'm not really a camping kind of person. I just never grew up camping. Now, don't get me wrong, I love the great outdoors as long as I'm looking at the window from a hotel room or an Airbnb. I love the great outdoors. You, you see, I know it's a fallen world because they're mosquitoes. That, that proves to me we're not in heaven yet. It's like, that has, mosquitoes have to be caused by sin. So, um, but, uh, but much of God's creation is amazing. And so I I love God's creation. I'm just not a tent person. That's why it was so crazy a few years ago when Chris and I, for a few moments, lost our minds and signed our whole family up to do a rafting camping trip down the Colorado River covering all of the Grand Canyon, an eight-day trip. Not one day of camping, but eight days of camping. She said, Carrie, this is glamping. This is no big deal. No, it was just real camping. That's what it was. Because we took off in the rafts, and it was all these people from all over the country that had signed up to join us, nothing like camping with strangers, pretty awesome. So we're, we're going on the raft down the Colorado River and you're getting hit with 55 degree water. Hypothermia is setting in, except for the fact that after a day of rafting, we pull into a little island and the, and the guides pull us into a little island in the middle of the Colorado River and, and we get out and the sun is setting, and we're looking up at the walls of the Grand Canyon. It was amazing. And I said, Chris, 
This is awesome. We need to camp a lot. This is just amazing. And so as the guides told us, you need to get your tent put up before the sun sets. So get going. So I started trying to put my tent up and it, after about an hour, you know, I had all these extra pieces and nothing was really happening. And I looked over at a 10-year-old kid who was on the trip that looked like he was probably a Boy Scout. His tent was already up. And I said, hey, man, um, can I give you five bucks to put my tent up? He got really excited, and he said, every day? I go, every day. It's a done deal. Shake on it. You know, he was adding it up in his mind. He, he swooped in when he saw somebody who was in trouble, and he took advantage of me in a crisis situation. But I was like, that's great. Five bucks, eight days. Yep, he did the math. 40 bucks, greatest 40 bucks I could ever spend in my entire life. And so he said, well, wait just a minute. And he, he went off and then he came back a couple minutes later and he was so dejected. He said, my mom and dad say, I can't take your money and you need to learn how to put your own tent up. <laughs> and I said, don't listen to your mom and dad. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. That's when I felt terrible. I was so embarrassed. It's like I couldn't even look at them the rest of the trip. Well, finally, Chris and I, we get our tent up, and we get in the tent, and it was 100 degrees. It was a little over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and it was that hot air, that dry, hot air that was blowing in through the canyon. I mean, it was just cooking, and as we laid down to sleep, we just couldn't fall asleep. It was so hot, but fortunately, as the night went on, it cooled down to 99 degrees, and I woke up in this pool of sweat, and Chris and I just crawled out of the tent, and we just laid there in the sand. And then the, the wind started blowing, but it was like a blow dryer right in your face for six hours. My son Ryan has this huge golden retriever named Bo, and he said when he woke up in the morning, I felt like Bo was hovering over me, just breathing in my face all night. And I said, yeah, I feel the same way, except for the fact you could add a sand blaster to it because we were covered in sand. And every night we would set up our tent just so we'd have some place to change in around all the strangers, but we wouldn't sleep in our tent. We would just sleep out in the sand and get covered up every night. And I'm telling you, it was camping. And we knew we had eight days of this. And on the eighth day, when I finally got to pack up that tent and fold it up and put it away, I felt so good. And when they got the buses down to meet us and those buses took us up to a hotel, God spoke to my heart, Carrie, this is what heaven's gonna be like right here. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I got a little glimpse of heaven in that Motel 6. I mean, it was amazing. You got a shower. It felt so good. I mean, and really, none of us are really tent people in the sense that we weren't made for this world. We were made for another world. We're not home yet. And the Bible says one moment after your death, you will either experience the greatest celebration or the greatest separation in eternity. Now, when we hear those near-death experiences, you know, we think about the bright light and we think about warm feelings of love and all that moving toward the light, but, but really they've found that half of those near-death experiences that people recount aren't just about a bright light. In fact, and there's a book by Maurice Rawlings called Beyond Death's Door, and he says half of the near-death experiences that have been recorded are these frightening, hellish near-death experiences. In 2 Thessalonians 1.8, it 
It says, he, God, will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. See, folks, hell is a real place. Jesus Christ believed in hell. He spoke about hell more than he even did about heaven. And so I wish I could just talk to you about heaven today, but I have to be honest and tell you the whole story. And the Bible says that hell is a real place. It's a place of suffering. It's a place of physical suffering. The Bible uses words like fire and torment to describe it. It's also a place of emotional suffering. The Bible uses the phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth several times to describe it. And it's this weeping and gnashing of teeth, a picture of this emotional regret. It's sort of like when you make a bad decision here on earth and you just have to live with the consequences. But at least on earth, you can try to do some things to mitigate it and make it a little better. But in hell, there's nothing you can do. It's just emotional regret for all eternity. But then the Bible says it's also a place of relational suffering. Every once in a while, someone will say to me, well, Pastor Kerry, I don't think I'll mind hell too much. You know, I'll be with all my buddies because they're all gonna be there anyway. Like hell is this continuous keg party for all eternity or something. No, Jesus said it's a place of utter darkness and utter loneliness. Relational separation for all eternity. C.S. Lewis said, hell is nothing but yourself for all eternity. Self and selfishness forever. It's also a place of spiritual suffering. Underline the phrase in that last verse, shut out from the presence of the Lord. See, God's presence on earth provides all the goodness that we experience here on this earth. All of the goodness, all of the creativity, all of the compassion, all of the love, all of the kindness, all of the adventure. God and his presence provides all the goodness we experience on this earth. We also experience pain and tragedy and evil and bad, but God doesn't cause those things. But all the good things come from God's presence, and you take God's presence out, and you lose all creativity. You lose all compassion. You lose all kindness. You lose all love. You lose all adventure and all excitement when you take God's presence out. So hell is complete separation from God's presence. So there is no creativity, no compassion, no passion, no adventure, no excitement, no goodness, no kindness, no patience, no love. So the real question is, why would a loving God send anyone to such an awful place? I get asked that every once in a while. Why would a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, the answer is found in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The answer is God doesn't send anyone there. God doesn't want anyone to go there. God wants everyone to be with him in heaven in total fulfillment. God doesn't send anyone to hell. In fact, the Bible says that hell wasn't made for us. It was made for the devil and his demons. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose to go there. For you see, our decisions made on earth are magnified in eternity. And if you decide on earth that you want God to be in your life, that you want to follow God, that you need God every day, you want to be close to the Lord, then you will be in his presence for all eternity. But if you decide on earth that you don't want God to be part of your life, that you don't need God, that you don't want to be close to God, you don't want God to be part of your life, then in eternity, you'll be separated from God. 
forever. So when you die, the Bible says you'll either experience the greatest separation or the greatest celebration. Because heaven is where the real party is going on. So let's look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. If you're a believer, one moment after you die, you will be at home with the Lord. You'll be in heaven. You'll be in the Lord's presence. And let me just share with you a little bit about heaven what the Bible tells us, first, it's a real place. There are a lot of misconceptions about heaven. It's a real place. It's just as real as this auditorium we're in right now. For those of you at the satellites, it's just as real as the auditoriums you're in right now. For those of you at home, watching through our broadcast ministry or online ministry, it's just as real as that house you're in or that apartment you're in. It's just as real as that place you're in. It's not a misty, clouded place. That's what a lot of people think of heaven. It's just all this mist and clouds and, and, and that we're just some spirit blob floating around that's unrecognizable. No, you'll have a heavenly body. You'll be recognized in heaven. It'll just be a perfect body. You may look at me and go, is that Elvis over there? I wondered if he was in heaven. Look at that hair. No, that's Pastor Kerry. He just has long hair now. He's got a new perfect body. I mean, we'll be able to recognize each other. We'll have heavenly bodies. You will be you, just the perfected you. No more brokenness. But heaven is a real place. We need to understand that. Then heaven is a place of complete fulfillment. Heaven is a place of complete fulfillment. Atheist Christopher Hitchens said, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to spend eternity in a monotonous, regimented place where everyone is forced to stand around and sing hymns all day. And I would say, me neither, because that's not what heaven is. But let's be honest, a lot of Christians aren't that excited about heaven. I mean, yeah, they, they say, yeah, I want to go to heaven. I mean, what's the alternative? When I die, I want to go to heaven, but they're not really that excited about heaven because when they think of heaven, they think of a long, boring church service, like one of the churches some of us grew up in. And they think, uh, that's not really for me, you know? But I guess it's better than being in hell. Not much better, but it's a little bit better, maybe. And that's the way some Christians think of heaven, so they don't get really excited about heaven, but heaven's not gonna be like that at all. It's a place of total fulfillment. The Bible uses these words, human words, to describe what is humanly impossible, really, to describe when it describes heaven. It says streets of gold, gates of pearls, which signify the meaning and the purpose and the fulfillment there. Heaven is just dripping with purpose and fulfillment. We'll have jobs to do that'll bring ultimate fulfillment. We'll be using our gifts and creativity and all of our abilities. We'll be fully alive, feeling total fulfillment. In, Second Corinthians, or in 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind is imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven's more beautiful, more amazing, more fulfilling a place than we could ever imagine. I could never do it justice in trying to describe it. Randy Alcorn said, when you experience something beautiful or sublime on this earth, then it, you're getting just a preview of heaven. You're getting a little glimpse of heaven. I mean, just imagine for a moment the most beautiful place you've ever been. 
most beautiful place you've ever been. And, and then imagine the most fulfilling moment of your life. And then imagine maybe the, the most wonderful meal that you've ever eaten in your entire life. The most wonderful event you've ever gone to. You pile all that together and heaven just blows it all away. Because heaven will be this most fulfilling place, beautiful place, sublime place, peaceful place, exciting place, adventurous place, perfect place we could ever imagine. One of the reasons why heaven is so fulfilling is because there's nothing there to take away our fulfillment. The Bible says heaven is a place of no more, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. Praise God, it's a place of no more. Where God says enough is enough. No more of this brokenness, no more of this pain, no more of this grief, no more tears, no more crying. I'm gonna wipe every tear from your eye because this is the place of no more. Nothing here will take away your fulfillment. But then I want you to see that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Jesus said in John 14, three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Heaven's a prepared place for prepared people. Jesus said, I'm gonna prepare a place for you and get it all ready to receive you. Now you need to prepare for heaven. So the real question is, are you prepared for eternity? Are you prepared for heaven? I mean, do you know for sure if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven? When I ask that question to people, sometimes they'll say, well, how can anyone really know? I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven. Can anyone really know? Well, the Bible says you can know. These things are written, Scripture says, that you may know that you have eternal life. The Bible says, yes, you can know. You can prepare. In 2 Corinthians 5.11, it says, it's no light thing to know that we'll all one day stand in that place of judgment. That's why we work urgently with everyone we meet to get ready to face God. God alone knows how well we do this, but I hope you realize how much and deeply we care. Paul was saying, hey, our whole purpose now is to help people prepare to meet God face to face. We, we want to help people prepare for that prepared place. And so our whole goal is to help people get ready to face God one day. And he said, how well we do that, only God knows, but everyone can see it's because we care about people and we love them. And, and I hope, that you see that our whole purpose at Woodland Church is to help people prepare to face God. As your pastor, there's gonna be a final exam one day and I want you to be ready for it. And one day you'll go meet God, you'll face God. And I want you to know how to pass that final exam. I want you to be prepared to meet God and how well I do it, only God knows. How well we do it, only God knows, but everyone can see it's because we care. That's why we do what we do at Easter and have 25 services, because we want everyone to be prepared to face God one day. Paul said, I, I want people to be prepared. And as your pastor, let me tell you the first question on the final exam. God's gonna ask you, why should I let you into my perfect heaven? I mean, if you did die tonight, and God forbid, hopefully you're gonna live many more years, but if you did die tonight and you stood before God, what would you say to him? Well, I've tried to live a pretty good life. I've sinned like everyone else, but 
but hey, I've never killed anyone, and I think my good outweighs my bad, and I've done some good things, so I think, you know, you should let me into heaven. I'm a pretty good person. I mean, that answer will sound really lame when you're face-to-face with perfect, holy God. For you see, perfect, holy God sent his only son to give his life and shed his perfect, sinless blood. So he's judged in my place. So now when I face God, I've received Christ and I don't face judgment. That's why it's so important to understand that the way is through a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made a way to heaven for us. Jesus put it this way in John 5, 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. The way to heaven is through a person, Jesus Christ. And because he shed his perfect sinless blood, he took my place on the cross, and so he took my judgment for all my sins, and so now I get to go to perfect heaven. And so when God asks me, when I'm face to face with him, Carrie, why should I let you into my perfect heaven? I'll say, I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. But your son, Jesus Christ, took my place and was judged in my place. And I received his free gift of heaven and forgiveness for all my sins. So I get to go to heaven on Christ's ticket. You see, if you could earn your way to heaven, if you could be good enough to get to heaven, it would be an awful place because everyone would be bragging about how they got there. Be, how did you get to heaven? Well, I gave more to charity in my community than anyone else. How, how did you get to heaven? Well, I did more volunteer work than anyone else. How did you get to heaven? Well, I attended church 50 years in a row. I'm a really good person. I mean, how did you get to heaven? I mean, if you really could get to heaven based on your good works, it would be like the other place because people would be so proud. I'm here. I deserved it. But there'd be no pride in heaven. It'd be all Humility, be like, I didn't deserve it. How'd you get here? I didn't deserve it. I just accepted Jesus. How did you get here? I, did, I, I deserve judgment, but I just accepted Jesus. Be a very humble place, an amazing place. And so the question is, have you prepared to face God? I want you to underline the phrase in that verse, crossed over from death to life. I love that because we don't cross over from death to life at the moment our heart stops beating. If you're a Christ follower, you crossed over from death to life the moment you believed in Jesus and received him. You're in eternity right now. You're just on this side of eternity. But God says we're to bring heaven to earth. We're to bring a little heaven to earth because think about it for a moment. Once you received Christ, You came alive. We're spiritually dead until we receive Jesus Christ. And then he brings our spirit to life. He brings our passion to life, our creativity to life. He brings us to life. And so once you receive Christ, you've crossed over from death to life, and now you're in eternity. You have eternal life from that point on. And we're to bring some heaven to earth. When you received Christ, why didn't God just snap his fingers and take you to heaven right away? I mean, because your salvation was assured. You're gonna be in heaven one day. It's so painful down here on this earth. Why doesn't God just bring us on to heaven once we receive Christ? There's only one reason he doesn't. He leaves us here to bring others, to bring others with us. He leaves us here so that we can make a difference in the lives of others and bring them to heaven so we can tell others about the good news that we found that's all a matter of God's grace, and heaven's a free gift. All you have to do is humble yourself enough to receive it. He leaves you here for one reason, to tell others 
and to share it with others. That's what this last verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says. It says, and all of this has brought us back, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He's saying once you've received the good news, heaven is a free gift by God's grace, then you're appointed an ambassador for God. You're appointed an ambassador for Christ. That's why God left you here, because you're an ambassador for Christ. You see, when it comes to the final exam, first question is, what did you do with my son Jesus Christ? Why should I let you into my perfect heaven? Because of Jesus, I received him. The second question is, what did you do with your one and only life that made a difference in the lives of others? Did you use any of your time, talent, and treasure, and opportunities to make a difference for eternity, or did you just use it all on yourself here on this earth? The third question is, did you bring anyone to heaven with you? Did you share the message of the good news? Did you do what I asked you to do, be my ambassador, so people could be reconciled to me? Did you, did you use any of your time and opportunity to bring people to me, to invite them to church, to hear the good news, to share the good news with them? Did you use any of your time? Did you care enough about people to do that? See, people are walking around filled with shame and guilt because of their sins. We got the good news. They don't have to be carrying around that guilt. They don't have to feel that shame. They can experience the free gift of God's forgiveness. People are walking around broken and hurting and bleeding all around us, and they don't have to carry that. They can be whole in Christ. They can bring their hurt and their pain to Christ. They can get connected to him and be right with him. People are living in nice houses all around this area, but they don't have a home. It's a nice house, but it's a broken home because of the conflict and the pain as the family is fracturing apart. Marriage is falling apart. Kids and the parents barely talk. There's so many houses in our area, but very few homes. There's so much hurt. There's so much pain beneath the surface. And do we care enough that we have the answer? It's like we got the cure for cancer, but we're not telling anyone. Are, are you doing what God's called you to do? Be his ambassador to say, hey, come home to God. Come home to God. Forgiveness awaits. You don't have to carry that shame. Come home to God. He'll turn your house into a home. Come home to God. He'll begin to heal that hurt. Come home to God. You got heaven one day waiting you. That's why we do what we do at Easter. We do what we do because we want people to come home to God. And so this Easter, it all starts in a week and a half. Isn't that amazing? April 18th. We have 25 Easter services at our three campuses, and we do that, and we work so hard in making sure it's the most creative, credible, compelling, and clear presentation of the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings us from death to life because we want you to bring friends, and we want them to come home to God. We want them to be prepared to face God one day. We want them to be in heaven with them forever. 
You see, if we really believe this is real, heaven is real, hell is hot, eternity is long, and Jesus Christ is the way. He loves us so much. If we really believe that, do we care enough to tell someone else? Do we care enough to invite someone else to experience it? What's the worst thing that can happen? They can say no. I wanna just challenge you and ask every one of you, every one of us to take out from our program that brochure for Easter. It says Easter at Woodland Church. This isn't for you. This is for a friend, a neighbor, a relative to give this to them, to invite them to one of the services, say I'll meet you there or come pick them up. Think of one, two, or three people you're gonna invite this Easter and give this to them. And then I wanna challenge every one of you to serve at an Easter service. We have over 40,000 people coming through our doors and we need you desperately. We need everyone to serve. And God's called you to serve. So I'm too busy to serve this Easter. You know, it's, it's gonna be kind of tough. Well, you're too busy to do what God's called you to do. God wants you to serve. We, we need people to serve in the children and preschool ministry. You don't have to teach the lesson. All you have to do is just be there to help our teachers and our staff. But we need you. We need everyone in the parking lot greeting people. We've got so many services. We need people to be Jesus to people because what you're doing out in the parking lot when you wave to people or when you're a greeter or an usher out here and you, you shake someone's hand and you greet them and you smile at them, you're saying, you're welcome here. God loves you. You're just being Jesus to people. Saying, I don't care if you only come once a year. We love you. And we know God wants to get hold of your heart this Easter. We need people to drive the transit. We need you know, people in the technical area, we need every, I'm telling you, we need every single one of you. And so I just challenge you to check one of these that you'll serve at one of the Easter services. You'll be on an Easter team, one of the teams at Easter, just for one service that you'll serve. Take that out of your program right now and, and, and just check that. We'll send you information on where you need to show up and, and then we'll train you, tell you what to do. If it's greeting, we'll tell you all you need for the qualification is to breathe. You, you know, you'll be great. And spiritual gift of breathing, get on out there and try to smile. But it's so important. These things seem so small, but they're huge. They make all the difference in the world when you're being Jesus to people. It was 19 years ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday. We had just finished a service in the Woodlands High School because that's where we met. It was the year before we came into this building. But there at the Woodlands High School, as I finished up the message, there was a sharp-looking couple on the front row, a man who wore a blue blazer, sitting there with his wife, and he stood up at the end of the service, he said, hey, Carrie, hey, Carrie. And so I came down there, and he said, hey, it's our first time here. My name is Dan. My wife's name is Debbie. We're the Vertrees family, and we just moved here, and we just came in here and sat down, and your message spoke to us so much. Thank you. It was so amazing. It's great to meet you. And I said, well, you're brave to sit on the front row. That's the splash zone. People know that. You know, I, I spit a little bit when I preach, but he goes, no, it was great to be on the front row. And Dan was one of the most positive guys I'd ever met. And every weekend, almost every weekend for 19 years, Dan was at the 930 service with his wife, Debbie, on the front row wearing that blue blazer. And, and he started collecting my sermon notes. He said, Carrie, I, I save every one of your sermon notes because I take it in my business. And he had this thriving business. He said, I take it and I teach these principles. They don't know it's, you know, spiritual principles. Just relate, you know? And I go, that's great. He, he was such a positive guy. I don't think he really did that, but he told me that. It made me feel really good. No, he would save them all and he would do that. It's just every week I'd be, I'd look so forward to seeing 
Dan and Debbie at the end of the service. He'd stand up in the blue blazer and he'd give me that thumbs up. Today at the 9.30 service, Dan wasn't on the front row in that blue blazer because last week Dan went to be with the Lord after a, a courageous fight with cancer. He's not on the front row and tomorrow when we have his memorial service in the chapel, he won't be there on the front row, but he's in the front row of heaven right now celebrating, doing this. Just look at his picture, giving that thumbs up. And I'm gonna miss it. Man, I'm gonna miss that thumbs up. I'm gonna... But he's giving you that thumbs up saying, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. He brought so many people to know Christ, inviting them to this church. So many people. And I know that God's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. God's giving him the thumbs up. Well done, good and faithful servant. Jim Caviezel, he's the actor in the NBC hit, you know, first person, and he was the actor that played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, and he's a friend of ours, and uh, I've interviewed him several times here at Woodland Church, and one time I interviewed him right after The Passion of the Christ came out, and he sat there, I said, what was it like, you know, playing Jesus and all that stuff, you know? And, and toward the end of the interview, he reached over, he put his hand on my knee, and he looked me right in the eye, and he said, you are a good man. I just melted right there, but I said, Jesus, thank you. You think, Jesus, thank, wait a minute, you're just an actor, man, you know? It's like, I mean, really, that's the way I felt. It was like, wow, Jesus just told me I'm a good man. And then I had to come to my senses, you know? Oh, it's just Jim Caviezel. Your initials are JC, but you're not Jesus. Okay, yeah. And I mean, it just felt so good. And I thought, wow, that's a little glimpse. You know, I want Jesus, the real Jesus, to say to me one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, you sinned a lot, you screwed up a lot, but you just fell in my grace, and you told everybody else about my grace. Sometimes I wondered about your methods. Sometimes I just, wow, huh? but you loved me with all your heart and you loved others with all your heart. Well done, good and faithful servant. You fell on my grace and you told everyone around you to fall on my grace. Well done. Come enjoy all that I have for you. That's the deepest desire of my heart and that's my desire for you. That's what I know Dan's experiencing. I want you to experience that one day. I want to experience that one day. Let's bow together right now. Heaven changes everything changes everything about this moment, everything about the way we live today. Live in the light of eternity. Dear God, we come before you, and I pray for everyone who's a Christ follower here, that you would help us, Lord Jesus, live in the light of eternity, that we wouldn't just get stuck in the here and now, that we wouldn't just get caught up in what's going on here, but we'd remember that we're really in eternity right now. We're just on this side of it. And help us, Lord Jesus, to share your grace with everyone around us. Lord, I pray that you would just speak through us your words in love to people, that you would just help us invite one or two people to Easter to experience it, and then, Lord, we would serve to show others who you are. Lord, I pray right now for every one of us that you would help us fulfill the purpose of being your ambassador. And then, Lord, I pray for those who've never received you, that this would be their moment, that they would pray this prayer to you. 
so that they can know that they'll be in heaven one day. And I just ask every Christ follower to pray this prayer out loud, along with all those who have never prayed this prayer before, to pray it out loud, just so that it gives encouragement to those who want to receive Christ today, that we'll all just pray this out loud as a confirmation of our faith. But just pray this out loud, every one of us. Dear Jesus Christ, I need you. So I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins and be the Lord of my life. I stop trying to save myself and I ask you to save me. And I accept your free gift of heaven one day. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And now nothing separates you from the love of God. Nothing stands between you. No sin, no hurt, no problem stands between you and God because he's in your life. Now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God. And as you give, thank God for what we're doing here. Is we are bringing hope to the hopeless. You know, our goal is to preach the gospel of hope to the world and to raise up the poor and the powerless and to raise up the next generation. As you give, thank God for what he's doing through the ministries and missions, but then thank him in advance. He's gonna give back to you more. And let's give to the Lord. Maybe you haven't gotten set up in giving through our push pay app or online giving. It doesn't matter how you give as long as you make it consistent. That's what God cares about, your heart. Lord, bless our giving and thank you, Lord, that nothing stands between us, that you are right there in between the thunder and the lightning to speak to our hearts, to let us know how much you love us and how real you are. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yeah. Awesome. Praise God. Thanks, Stephen. God bless you guys. Hey, don't forget, Easter... Invite a friend, give them the brochure, and I encourage everyone to pick up one of these yard signs in your foyer and be proud of the Lord Jesus, be proud of your church, and let people know that they can come and experience the resurrection. God bless you, Woodland Church. I'm so thankful that he reveals himself to us between the thunder and the lightning, and he's right here. He's right here to let you know that he loves you, that he'll never let you go. And as you take that step of faith and you walk out today and you take that step of faith, believing God that you are who he says you are, that you're a child of God, that you're righteous, that you're forgiven, that you are a person of purpose and that no problem can stop God's purpose for your life, then you can praise him this week in advance and watch him work a miracle in your life. God bless you. He's alive. The tomb is empty so your life can be filled. He is alive, and we're celebrating it even now. God bless you, Woodland Church. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodland Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodland Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.